Open with me again to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And let's look at something we looked at last week. How many of you were with us last week? Can I see your hands? I'm still a little bit high. I got to be honest with you. We began last week talking about some things that I know the Lord wants us to spend quite a bit of time on together. Let's just look at this in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1, and then we'll talk some more about it. The chapters and verses leading up to this, you remember we mentioned this before, but this is all about the dedication of the temple. And King Solomon is getting ready to pray here and has just prayed in chapter 6, this prayer of dedication. And the reason we're talking about this is because this is what we're headed towards in this church. By now, you should know that Dedication Weekend is coming, May 22nd and 23rd, Saturday and Sunday. We're going to take some time and, and consecrate that time and focus on one thing, and that's the dedication of this place to the Lord. And we're still a new church. Uh, most of you know that. We just really got started a few weeks ago. But we believe it's important that we take this time together and, and not just go through some religious act, some show. And I got to tell you, I've had just about enough of religion. And anymore, the most religious people are not in the church. Seriously, Lord, we got to get into that. There is such a gross display of empty vain religion on in the world right now. People going through motions knowing it's doing nothing, but doing it for the benefit of people watching. That's religion. I don't know if I want to say exactly what I'm talking about, but there's a lot of it going on and it doesn't have anything to do with God. It doesn't have anything to do with church. I have found that the, in the day we're living in, the most religious people aren't doing what they're doing with God in mind at all. It's a show. Okay. That's not why we're dedicating this facility. It's not because of any kind of religious habit or tradition. It's because we look to the word and we see that it's, if it's a big deal to God, it should be a big deal to us. And dedication, evidently what we're going to see here in a second, God sees as an invitation. When you dedicate something and these people are dedicating a temple, he treated that like a personal invitation. And they were saying to him, we want you to come. We want you to attend. We want you to fill up this place. And I believe that the heart of the Lord is for you and I to focus on these things in the weeks leading up to the dedication of this place because it's going to build in us an expectation. So, so far we got dedication, invitation, expectation. We're going to talk about preparation because these things don't just happen without a lot of preparation and work going into it. Get ready. I said, we get ready. And that's what I keep hearing in my spirit about all this. Come on, get ready, get ready. And when you hear that, the, the first inclination is, woo, let's get excited, get ready. God said, get ready. He said, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. And people get excited. Why? Because God's coming and the glory's coming. And that's a good thing to get excited about. But listen to me, there's another side to that coin. If he's telling you to get ready, what's that mean? You ain't ready. If he's saying get ready, that means we're not. And if you're not ready, if you're not prepared, he may not be able to do the things he wants to do. This is why he got a lot of frustrated people. God said this was going to happen. And he said he'd fill up the whole earth with his glory. And he said all flesh would know the glory of God. Why isn't it happening? Why don't I see it? Because you got a bunch of people who are not ready for it. We talked about Moses last week, crying out to God, show me your glory. And God said, sorry, bro. I could show you, but then I'd have to kill you. If you saw my glory, it would kill you. There was not a, a readiness. And for him, it wasn't that he could do anything more physically to be ready. But the, the, the condition that mankind was in was not ready to receive the glory that is Jesus. 
That had to be the result of coming, going from death to life spiritually. Because if, that, if you don't have that new nature on the inside of you, this old flesh nature cannot handle the brightness, the weight, and the splendor of the glory of God. So they're dedicating this temple and they've been working on it for years, over a decade, and have spent hundreds of millions, by some estimations, even more on the preparation and the building of this temple. This was a nice place. And Solomon prayed in chapter six, verse 41. Now, therefore, arise, O Lord God, to your resting place. You and the ark of your strength, let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. Let your saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed. Remember the mercies of your servant, David, chapter seven, verse one. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifice. And say this next part with me. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The fire came down and the glory filled the temple. I'm stirred up about the fire and the glory. The fire and the glory. Now, I've been on a diet all week. Can you tell? I've been on a diet all week long. And all week long, I've just been feeding and feeding and feeding on the glory of God. Feeding on the word about his glory, what his glory is and where it comes from and what it does. I found some good teaching on the glory of God. So you know what I did? I listened to it and I listened to it again. And when it ended, I listened to it again and I listened to it again and I listened to it again. I'll be honest with you. I went back and watched myself preach from last week. I got done with it. That was good. I needed to hear that. That's what I'm on a steady diet of right now. The glory, the fire and the glory. And as you feed on it, like we've already said, it builds an expectation on the inside of you. You begin to expect it. You begin to expect to see these things. The fire came down. The glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Verse two, the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord saying, come on, say this with me, for he is good for his mercy endures forever. I think maybe at some point during this series, we'll talk more about that. But evidently, that's one of God's favorite songs. He likes when people start singing this song. Which one? Oh, you know, the one that goes, he is good and his mercy endures forever. Man, when God's people start singing that, his foot starts tapping. His, oh, I like this one. I, I like this one. Do that one again. For he is good and his mercy endures forever. Was it Brother Hagin that used to walk to the pulpit and, and at the beginning of what I think nearly every sermon he'd say, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. These are words that are supposed to be coming out of your mouth all the time. One, yeah, you need to be mindful of it. But again, two, he likes it. How do I know he likes it? Because there are places in the scripture where it talks about all the priests and the musicians, over 120 musicians get together and begin to play. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a band, but that's a miracle. It's, it's a miracle when you got a band of four or five guys to get them a, to agree on what song, what song we're going to do. Well, I like this one. No, I like this one. Well, what key are we going to do? I, I like this key. No, I like this key. Well, what tempo? And that's how bands break up as quickly as they start because you got all these creatives that are just <laughs> so stubborn and they want to do it this way. These musicians and artists and it's their art and it's their craft. Well, what happens when you get 120 people like that together? It's a miracle when they all go, let's do the one about the mercy. Let's do the one about his mercy and his goodness enduring forever. Yeah, yeah, let's do that one. And God so likes that song. There are places in the scripture that says when they began to sing that, the glory of the Lord filled the temple and they couldn't even stand. Have you read that? That's what these people just did. The scripture literally just told us they hit the pavement. They got down. This is a different kind of get down, but they, they got low. They could not even stand. 
It didn't say that it started like the wave, you know what I mean? Well, some guy on the front road, he, he knelt and somebody's like, oh, I should probably do that too. And so he kneels. It's not this cause and effect thing. They literally could not stand. Now, remember this. What did we talk about last week? What is the glory of God? If you look the word up, it literally means heavy, weighty. It's the atmosphere of heaven. It is the very air of heaven. It's, the glory is the air they breathe in heaven. And it's a different atmosphere there. And when the glory is in manifestation, you want to know what that is? It's a bit of the atmosphere of heaven coming to earth. And that atmosphere overtaken this one. And in this atmosphere, yeah, you can stand up under your own strength, under your own power. But when this heavy, weighty air that this flesh isn't used to begins to settle in, this isn't like taking, you know, an obligatory knee. This is out of reverence. You can't stand. It's so heavy on you that it literally puts you to the floor. That's what happened to these people. They went to the pavement singing, he's good, his mercy endures forever. Why? Because his glory is heavy and it's weighty. Go back to 2 Corinthians. We looked at this last week, chapter four. I've been feeding on this stuff so much. The challenge is to not stand here and read the entire Bible to you because it's throughout the whole thing. And if, you, if you're not a preacher, you don't know what this is like, but you just want to give it to everybody all at once and you just can't do it. So you kind of got to pick and choose what it's time for. So I need your help with this today. Be in agreement with me that we'll hear exactly what the Lord needs us to. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, again, we looked at this last week. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though, even though the outward man is perishing. Now, remember, just a few verses before this, he was talking about the earthen vessel. You remember we talked about that? That the outward man, the earthen vessel. And that's when he said, we have a treasure in the earthen vessel that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We're pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. But it's not the vessel that's keeping us from being crushed. It's not because this earthen vessel's so strong. This is just a cheap clay pot. So if it's not the, the earthen vessel of the outer man, the outward man that's keeping you from being crushed, what is it that's keeping you from being crushed? It's the treasure inside. It's what's in the vessel. And that's where he said, we've got the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in this vessel. So that's what he's still talking about here. We don't lose heart, even though the, the earthen vessel, the outward man is perishing, the inward man, what's inside is being renewed day by day. Now notice this, for our light affliction. What kind of affliction is it? Light. What does light mean? It doesn't weigh much, it's light. He said our light affliction, which is but for a moment. So you've got light, you've got momentary, he said, it's working for us. Man, that's a different way of looking at it, isn't it? This affliction and the pressure that you've been going through and the problems that you've been facing, it's a different thing entirely, entirely to look at that thing going, you work for me. I don't work for you. <laughs> you work for me. And that's what he's saying, this light affliction, it works for you. So what he's doing is changing your position. You've been under it, but he, what he's trying to tell you, no, you over this. You have authority over this. This light affliction, which is but for a moment, is actually working for you. And it's working for you a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Exceeding weight. So he's comparing something that's light to something that's heavy. Can you see that? Something that's light compared to something that's heavy. And what is the glory of God? It's the presence of God, heavy weighty. And I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm, just, I'm so excited about the presence of God filling up this place and the air changing in here and the atmosphere of heaven coming into this place. And if it pushes me all the way down to the floor, so be it. If I can't even lift up my nose off the carpet because of that heavy, weighty presence of God, fine by me. Anybody else with me on that? Would you be willing to just hang out right there for as long as that heavy presence just stayed right there on us? Hey, I know I would because miracles happen in that glory. Good things take place. 
He said it's working for us a far more exceeding or heavy and eternal weight of glory while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are what? Temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He's drawing a dividing line here. And you have to decide on which side of the line do you give your attention and your focus? Because on one side, the affliction and the pressure, which is all stuff out here in this realm where you can see it, you can feel it, you can look at it with your natural eyes. He said, all that stuff is light. He said, it's momentary. And then he said, it's temporary. It's fleeting. It's, it's done. It's over. It's gone. But on the other side, you've got something that's heavy, something that's weighty, and something that's eternal. And he said, we look at these things. We don't spend our time looking at what's light and momentary. We look at, we give attention to what's heavy, what's weighty, what's eternal, what is the glory of God. But you've got to decide which one has your attention. Let me read a few verses to you from the Old Testament. Don't take time to turn there. We may have them on the screen for you. But in the book of Leviticus chapter 19, verse 35, God is speaking and says, you shall do no injustice in judgment. Listen to these words. In measurement of length, weight, or volume, you shall have honest scales. Somebody say honest scales. Listen to it again. Don't do injustice in judgment, in measurement of length, weight, or volume. You shall have honest scales, honest weights, an honest ephah, an honest hen. You hear that over and over? Honest, honest. He said, I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them. I am the Lord. Proverbs 11.1 1 says, dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight, or you could say an honest weight, is his delight. Proverbs 16.11 says, honest weights and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his. It's kind of interesting instruction from God, isn't it? But evidently he thought enough about this to say it to his people more than once. We just read three instances just right now. Talking to them about honest scales, just weights, just measurements. You know this, but in that particular time, if you were to go into a marketplace and you were going to purchase something, you see something that a vendor has. I like that. I want that. You know, you didn't walk up there and write a check. You didn't, you didn't pull out paper money. You certainly didn't swipe a piece of plastic. What's plastic? You know, if you're going to buy something from somebody in this time, it was all based on weight. It was based on weight. And they would say to you, it costs this much. And what that vendor would do was reach into his bag of weights and put that much weight on his side of the scale. And then what you had to do was reach into your bag of money, be it shekels or denarii or anything like that. You know what those words literally are? They're measurements of weight. A shekel is a measurement of weight. So you reach into that bag and you start loading up your side of the scale, right? Until the scale evens out. And that's how you know you've paid what he's asking. And the Lord makes it such a point here. And he says, you will not have dishonest scales. You will be just in your measurement. You could say righteous in the way you measure it. What's he telling his people? Don't defraud, don't deceive, don't lie to somebody. There's a little bit of this left in our culture now. When you go to the grocery store and you see fruits and vegetables that you want, oftentimes there'll be a price on them and it's a price per pound, right? 
So you take that, this was at the grocery store, we used to shop at, you would take that piece of fruit or those vegetables and depending on how many you have, you put them on a scale. In the store we used to shop at, you put in the little item code number into the computer screen and it would print out a ticket and you would put that ticket on that bag and it would tell you, you know, you've got this, much, this many pounds of this, so you're gonna pay this price. Well, what if you found out that the store you've been shopping at for the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years had rigged their scales to read just a little heavier that you were actually and had been actually paying, you know, three cents more, which is not much, but maybe just a few cents more than what you thought you were paying because the scale was rigged. Are you following me? I mean, what if you found out that you'd been shopping there not just once or twice, but for 10 or 15 years? I mean, how much have you overpaid in that amount of time? And then you put that together with the other hundreds of people who are going in and out of that store every day. And that store owner just rigged it just a little bit, just rigged it to weigh wrong just a little bit to get a little more. Evidently, this was a, a real problem in this world, so much so that God had to tell his people, that's not going to be you. You're not going to do business this way. You're not going to treat people this way. Why? It's stealing. Dummy, we're not going to do that. It's defrauding. It's deceiving. It's lying. And the big problem with it is if you think you have to do that to get your needs met, you have no faith in the goodness of God. See, every commandment he ever gave them was to bring them back to him as their source. You don't need to steal from them. I'll be your source. You don't need to covet. I'll get one to you. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. I can get you one of those. I can get you five of those and nicer than what he's got. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Anybody? I can get you a better one. <laughs> Every commandment was designed to bring you back to God as the source. And he's emphatic. Can we agree on that here? Don't use these unjust lying scales. Well, I know our culture isn't so much based on that anymore, but it's still true in the sense that those things we give weight to, what does that mean? We value it. If you give weight to somebody's word, let's say you're in an argument or you got two people over here fussing with each other and one says this and the other says that and they bring you into the conversation and you got to hear both sides and then decide who's right. Well, depending on whose word you give weight to, we'll decide which way this whole thing goes. And whatever you give weight to, you honor and you value. Now imagine if you, if you will, a, a, a set of scales right here. And on one side of the scale, you've got the pressures of this life. You've got, you got financial pressure and marital pressure and, and sickness in your body and, and persecution from people all around you. And, and all of that is on one side of the scale. And man, people are so, so good about going to God and loading up their side of the scale talking all about the stuff that's wrong and this is bad and this is wrong. No faith in it, but just loading up that side of the scale. Here's the problem. Here's the pressure. Here's the lack. Here's the pain. Here's the need and everything you can see and everything you can feel. And it's all out here in this, this sense realm. And you load up that side of the scale and God says, okay, you done? And you say, well, you know, for now. <laughs> and then he puts on his side of the scale this exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now, if you look at that, depending on what you give weight to, the truth is his glory far outweighs anything that this world can throw at you, but it matters what you give the weight to. Hmm? Are you following me? And if you go, yeah, okay, exceeding weight of glory, great, amen, preacher. But the pain and the problem and the pressure, you know what you're doing? 
you are giving weight to this side of the scale. And you know what that is? As long as what's in the seen realm to you outweighs what's in the unseen, that's a lying scale. That's an unjust scale. And there are people living life based on unjust measurements. Deceived, believing that this is what's true. This is what's valuable. They give more weight and more valuable to the problem and the pressure than they do the glory of God that's on the inside of them. And it's a lying scale. Lying to them. Go to 1 Samuel. Go to 1 Samuel. First Samuel chapter two. This is the account of the, the high priest Eli and his family. And many of you may be familiar with this, but his, his boys, his sons had gotten away from God, had gotten away from doing things God's way. And these were ministers. They were priests. They held positions in the temple. And man, they were lying to people and defrauding people. They were stealing offerings. They were entering into adulterous relationships with the women that came to the temple, seducing and manipulating. And God was not okay with it. And he talked to Eli about it. He sent a man of God to him to warn him about it. And, you know, Eli went to his sons and he talked to them. He says in verse 24 of 1 Samuel chapter 2, he said, No, my sons, it's, it's not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Notice this. Nevertheless, they did not heed. Or you could say they didn't listen to the voice of their father. Now they heard his words. He's standing there talking to them. But they didn't, we'll say it like this for our time today, value his word. Because they went right on doing what he told them not to do. And God held Eli responsible for this. This was, they ended up losing their lives over this thing, but he held Eli responsible for it. And he sent a man of God to him in verse 29, and this is what God said through this man, why do you kick at my sacrifice? In other words, why, am I, why is my sacrifice, my offering, no big deal to you? Why? He's asking, why do you think you can do this? These boys who are, are supposed to be representatives of God to the people, standing in this place of priests. Why do you think you can do this? Why do you think you can steal the offering? They're doing it because they're living and acting like there's no God. Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place and honor your sons more than me? God's saying this to Eli. Eli wasn't the one doing this, but he was the one letting it go on. He was the one allowing it. And he said, why do you honor them more than you honor me? You might think, well, how's he honoring them? By not putting a stop to it. By not, by not bringing this stuff to an end. He said, you honor your sons more than me. You make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me, Notice these words, will be lightly esteemed. It's light. He said, those who honor me. Do a little study on this word honor. You know what it means? Let me give you the definition of it. It means to be heavy or to make weighty. See, we're still talking about this weightiness, this heaviness. To honor something or someone is to give weight to them. To give weight to it. 
to make it heavy. To honor it is to make it heavy or to make it weighty. It, it also means, you ready? To glorify. Now you, you're connecting these dots, aren't you? Honor and glory and this heavy, weighty presence of God. What you honor, he said, if you honor me, I'll honor you. Or you could say it like this. If you give weight to me, oh, come on. Are you listening right now? What's God, what's God saying? If you give weight to my things, what does that do? It lets him give weight to your things. If you make a big deal out of my stuff, God says, that enables me to make a big deal out of your stuff. If my things are heavy and weighty to you, your things will be heavy and weighty to me. Those who honor, give weight to my things, I can give weight to their things. But then he said, those who despise me will be what? Lightly esteemed. We hear the word despise and our immediate reaction is to think, ooh, gross, I hate that, disgusting, I don't like it. But if you look it up in scripture, it doesn't necessarily mean all that. You see what it means. You despise me, I'll lightly esteem you. Or you treat my stuff like it doesn't weigh anything, I have to treat your stuff like it doesn't weigh anything. And this is the answer. Are you ready? Here comes a very big answer that much of this world is asking. It's this question right now. How is it a God of love can let all this stuff happen to billions of people? You ever heard anything like that before? How can this God, this God that you say he loves, how can he let this destruction and this famine and this, this uh, peril over here and this, and this violence over here, how can he let that happen to them? One word. Access. Most of this world has no honor for him. Most of the rest of this world either doesn't believe he exists or if they do, they never give it another thought beyond that. No honor, no value. They give no weight to his word. They give no weight to his plan. They give no weight to his will. And to say they give no weight to it is to say, remember our scale, they don't value it right? Here's this exceeding and eternal weight of the glory of God. And they're like, yeah, I give you a couple of bucks for that. No weight, no value. And what that serves to do is limit his access to them. So the question isn't how could he let it happen? The answer is he had no access to stop it. He had no access to intervene. There was no open door. This is why our lives are supposed to be so different. When you give weight and value and honor to the word of God and the plan of God and the things of God and the church of God and the will of God and the kingdom of God and you wake up with it on your mind and it's on your heart and your mind throughout the day and you go to bed passionate every night about God, I want to know you. I want to fulfill your plan. I want to do what you call me to do. And it lives big on the inside of you. You are giving weight to him, but guess what he gets to do? give weight to you. And it's like this honor for God is like a door. And the more you honor him, the wider that door opens. And if you honor him this much, that's how wide the, the door is. If you give him this much weight and this much value and this much time, if you're waking up and checking a box, you know, I spent three minutes moving on. That's how wide the door is for him to come through and work in your life. So how, how wide do you want that access to be? Huh? You, you, how, how much room and access do you want to give him to go to work so that even when and if you do miss it or, or you do make a mistake, it's your honor and the value and the weight that you've given him. He's got this wide open door to flood in and say, no, it's okay, I'll take care of it. My mercy's good and it endures forever. That's what value for the things of God does. That's what honor for him does. You honor me, he's saying, and it's like opening up a door. I'll honor you. Now, folks, I could honor you 
We could acknowledge you. Oh, look what a good job you've done. Here, invite them on the stage. Look what they did. Didn't they do a good job? Everybody clap. And we honor you. And, and that's great. And, you know, slap you on the back and say thanks. And put a check in your hand. Whatever. But there is nothing that man can do for you to honor you that compares to God Almighty honoring you, giving weight to you. Let them write the biggest, fattest check they can, and it still doesn't compare to what he can do for you, what he can do in you, and what you want him doing in you. When, when, the, when the fire came down and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, what was that? That's God on display. That's God seen. That's God, here's a big Bible word for you, manifested. The manifestation of the presence of God. But what gave way to that? That wasn't because, just because God's like, I love these people and I want to manifest myself. That's not what opened the door for the fire to fall and the glory to fill that place. What opened the door to that? Over a decade of work on his house. Hundreds of millions of dollars, if not more, spent on his things. That's value. That's value. Now, is it any wonder there is such pressure from the world and sadly from much of the church world to do God's stuff as cheap as you can? And if you have anything nice, the pressure is on you to, to explain yourself. Were we just reading an article this week? There is somebody, and I don't, I don't encourage you to take time to look this up, but there is somebody who has taken it upon themselves to start a social media account that grabs screen grabs and pictures of preachers with nice shoes on. Some, a preacher wearing a nice jacket. And then to identify what brand it is and how much it cost. Somebody driving a car that's worth something. And we were reading about it. And of course, the person writing the article was lauding this and praising this. But it's dangerous stuff. I said, this is dangerous stuff. Number one, you don't know what they paid for that. Jesus rode in on a brand new donkey. That might've been an $80,000 brand new donkey. No miles on it. How much did he pay for it? Nothing. The Lord had need of it and the spirit of God worked in somebody else. You don't know. You don't know. And even if they paid 1.5 million for it, what's that to you? Huh? What's that mean to you? This is dangerous stuff. God is worthy. I don't know shoes and jackets and cars. These, these things are not the most important thing. But if you can't pass these little tests with this stuff like this, you will be really uncomfortable in heaven. Seriously. And what are we talking about? Heaven coming here. I'm hungry for it. I said, I'm hungry for it. Heaven coming here. That's what the glory is. Thank you, Lord. Heaven coming here. How do we do this, Lord? Give him weight. Give him value. And give him honor. Go back to the New Testament to Mark chapter 4. I'm telling you, there is so much here. I wish I could just digitally download it to you, but we just got to take the time. In Mark chapter 4, In verse 24, Jesus is speaking and he said, take heed what you hear. Luke's account of this, Jesus said, take heed how you hear. Take heed how you hear. Now listen to this. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, 
more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Now, this is something Jesus said often. He said it more, in more than one place, more than a couple times. Take heed how you hear something, not just what you hear. It's important to pay attention to what you're listening to. That is, that is absolutely important. But there's another step beyond that. Once you identify, okay, I should be hearing this and not that. So I'm going to turn that off and listen to this. That's a good first step. But even then there's something more. Pay attention, he said, to how you pay attention. Take heed to how you hear it. So much of the problem that people have, they think they have with preachers and, and certain doctrines, they think they're problems with the preacher. Really, the problem's not with the preacher. The problem was, is with how you are hearing what they're saying. Take heed how you hear this. But what he said was, take heed how you hear it because the measure that you meet, the measure, the measure, the value, the honor, the weight, the weight that you give it will determine how much more you get. Oh, come on, listen. The weight that you give the word of God will determine how much more of the word of God you get. The weight that you give the presence of God will be the determining factor of how much more of the presence of God you get. The weight and the value that you put on the glory of God is the determining factor that will decide how much more or how much little of the, uh, of the glory of God that you get. Take heed how you hear it. Because the measure that you use, what weight you give to it, is the scale just? Or are you living by a lying scale? Because if you've got the exceeding and eternal weight of glory on one side of the scale, how many of you know it's worthy of some time? It's worthy of some affection. It's worthy of some dedication. It's worthy of it. Okay, look at... Uh, Oh, thank you, Lord. Mark chapter 10. You're in Mark 4. Look at Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 is the account of the one we call the rich young ruler. And it won't take time to tell you the whole thing. You know this account. It says there was one in verse 17 that came running to him on the road. He came running, he knelt before Jesus and he asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? He's recognizing here there's something missing. The scale's off, the balance is wrong. I, I need something that I don't have. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good but one, that's God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Now go back to his question, what good thing do I have to do to inherit eternal life? You couple this with some of the other, other accounts and this is what he said. He called Jesus a good teacher and then he said, what good thing do I do? Can you see the problem here? And this is why Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? In other words, what's your concept of good? Something seems off because if you're calling him good and in the same breath calling what you do good, how many you know that's a lion scale? If you got his goodness on one side and your goodness on the other and you're going, yeah, these things are about the same. Uh, you're being lied to. And you live in according to a lying, unjust, unrighteous scale. And that's why Jesus said, why do you call me good? What's your concept of good? But because he came to him based on what I do, Jesus responded, okay, you want something to do, which is the nature of the flesh. I want something to do. I want to deserve it. I want to earn it. So Jesus talks to him about the commandments. He goes, yeah, I know. I've done that. I've kept all that. And Jesus, the Bible says, looking at him, loved him. In verse 21, said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell what you have and give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come take up the cross and follow me. Now, not everybody got that invitation. 
Up until this point, there was a very small handful of guys that got that little two-word invitation from Jesus, follow me. Now, those words have fallen on human ears and everyone since then. But in that time, precious few got that look. He looked at him and he loved him. And out of that love comes this invitation. Follow me. Go sell what you have. Give. Follow me. You'll have treasure in heaven. But what happened was he went. He was sad at this word and he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So he recognizes there's a need. I've got stuff. I've got money. I've got material things. We know he has that. He's got great possessions, but that ought to tell you right there. There's no life in that stuff because this is what he's hungry for. What do I do to get this life? I want life. There's no life in this. I want life. And Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He said, all right, go sell that. Get free of that. Come follow me and I'll give you treasure in heaven. Now, I don't know if this guy realized what he did in the moment, but let me tell you, there was right there between him and Jesus, an invisible set of scales. And on one side, Jesus put this invitation to eternal life. Follow me. Why follow me? Because I'm going somewhere. And I've got what you're looking for. He put life on that side of the scale. Now, I don't know if this guy realized he did this or not, but it, you can see it. It's what he did. And as soon as Jesus put life on that side of the scale, this guy loaded up his side of the scale with stuff, great possessions. And in his mind, this scale told him that what you have materially outweighs what he's offering spiritually. And he believed it. But was that a just scale? Lied to him. Lied to him. And he went away sorrowful. Still with that life-shaped hole on the inside. He went away sorrowful because of a lying scale. And if he had stayed like five minutes, you want to know what he would have heard Jesus say? Literally, just a few verses later, he would have said, no man has left house or home or family or stuff for my sake and the gospels who will not receive, ready for this? Now in this time, a hundredfold. What's he saying? You honor me, I'll honor you. You give weight to my stuff, I'll give weight to your stuff. And he left, I'm telling you, seconds early, moments. If he had stayed just another couple of minutes, he would have heard, I'm not losing something. I'm sowing something. Yeah, I'm leaving it, but I'm not losing it. The moment I leave it for his sake in the gospels, or in other words, the moment that I decide he's worth more, the gospel's worth more. Doing what I'm called to do is worth more. The moment I turn my back on this, a hundredfold's on its way to me. You honor him, he honors you. Just a couple of more. Don't be so excited, I know. You're... I want you to contrast that to what the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 162, he said, I rejoice. This guy walked away sad. The psalmist said, I rejoice at your word like one who's found a great treasure. And that's what you see in Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew 13, verse 44, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid and for the joy over it. So this is not sorrowful. This is not sad. For the joy over it goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. And Jesus said, this is what the whole kingdom of heaven is like. So let this paint a picture for you. Here's a guy working in a field, digging ditches. 
And he's been out there days or weeks or months digging these ditches. And then all of a sudden this day, that shovel hits something hard, something he's never hit before. And he starts digging around and he finds out there's bear, there's treasure in this field It's buried beneath the surface. And he's looking around and he's looking at this treasure and it's, it's this massive treasure. It's huge. It's worth who knows how much. So you know what he does for the joy over it, covers this treasure back up, goes home, sells everything he's got. We might say he goes all in, all in. And what does he do? He buys that field purchases a field. Now try explaining that to people you know and love. You sold everything to do what? I bought a field. You bought a field. Is it producing? Is there fruit? Is there harvest growing? No, I just bought a field. People are going to call you crazy. You go all in for a field. But what they're looking at is not the same thing you're looking at. What they're looking at is what's seen. What are you looking at? You stand there and look at that field and all they see is dirt and grass and rocks and an old dead tree in the corner. When you look at that field, what do you see? The treasure what? Beneath the surface. Can't be seen. It's unseen. And it was so precious and valuable to you that you went all in for it because you believed that this treasure you have found is able to absolutely replace everything you've just sold and then some, and then some, and then some, and then some. And Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of heaven's like. This is like somebody who, who on one side, they put the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven on one side of the scale and they look at it and they go, that's worth everything I've got and more. Jesus it's all yours. I'm all in. Take my life. Do something with it. I belong to you. I'll go where you say go. I'll do what you say do. I'll spend where you say spend. I'll sow where you say sow. What is this? Honor. Value. But do you know that there were people in this town and the surrounding areas that woke up this morning and whether they realized it or not, there was a little set of scales right there on the nightstand. And on one side, it was go to church, hear from God, get your life changed. On the other side of the scale was an extra hour of sleep. And they thought I could really use that hour and went back to sleep and believed a lying scale. His honor, our honor for his things shows up, doesn't it? In the everyday. Where do you put the value? Where do you put the, the honor? The Bible says in the book of Isaiah chapter 53, the people didn't recognize Jesus for who he was. They said there was no beauty or comeliness that we should be attracted to him. We didn't esteem him. What does that mean? We didn't value him. We didn't honor him. As a matter of fact, we did esteem him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we were healed. How did we miss that? Huh? Looking at what was seen. We thought the Messiah would look like this. And because he didn't physically look like that, we missed the whole thing. I tell you one guy who really got this wrong. It's a guy named Judas who put on one side of the scale, Jesus, the very image of God and the brightness of his glory. And you know what he put on the other side? 30 pieces of silver and said, yeah, I think this weighs more than that. What a lying scale. What a lying scale. But I say not us. Amen. I say not us. 
This is so key to, to you and I experiencing more and more and more of the glory of God. The more we value, the more we honor what's happening. That door is just opening up wider and wider and wider. And he starts flooding through. And the, the wider that door is open, the more of the goodness and the glory of God can flood through it. Jesus said it like this in John chapter 14. He said, those who hear my commands and keep them. Those are the ones who love me. And if you love me, you'll be loved of my father. And I will love you. And listen to these words. You ready? I will manifest myself to you. What won't that fix? A manifestation of Jesus. What, what, what won't and what can't that fix? I'll, he said, I'll manifest myself. The Amplified says, I will show myself to you. I will make myself easily seen by you. You know what that sounds like to me? Fire fallen and the glory of the Lord filling the house. Now we can't get so hung up on literal fire now, I'll, God can manifest himself in this place any way he wants to. I'm not limiting him. It's just that we have spent a lot of time working on it. <laughs> and I'd probably rather not the whole thing go up in flames. But that's why his disciples, when he said, I'll manifest myself to you, they said, how are you going to manifest yourself to us and not the world? See, that's what they've got in their minds, that a manifestation of God is fire, physical fire coming down and, and a cloud in the sky. Like I said, the Lord can manifest himself any way he wants to, and we'd be thrilled and happy with it. But what he was talking to them about was what goes on on the inside. I'll be in you. My father will dwell in me. I'll dwell in you. You'll dwell in us. It's what's going on in you. It's not this earthen vessel. It's the glory inside it. We want to see more of this. Do we want to see more of this? It's so simple. Let's value. Let's honor God. Let's honor the things of God. Go ahead. Stephen. Jesus told us that there would be people who he would send you to, but wouldn't hear or receive what you had to say. Take heed how you hear. He said, there will be those, in essence, he said, there'll be those who treat you the way you and I have treated God. And I want you to notice what happens. He said, you're going to go into a house. He said, greet the people in that house and, and speak peace to that house. And he said, if they're worthy, worthy, it's a churchy word, but Listen to it, worth. In other words, if that house puts worth and value on what I've sent you to say, stay there and let your peace rest on that place. He said, but if they're not worthy, or you could say, if they don't find it worth it, if it's not worth it to them to hear it, if it's not worth it to them to come and to be a part of it, he said, let your peace return to you. And he said, there will be those who do not hear you and do not receive you. And it's not going to be that they didn't hear the words that came out of your mouth. It's going to be how they heard. They didn't receive it. They didn't let it get in. And he gave you and I very specific instruction of what to do with people who don't give weight to the things God's called us to do and called us to say. And what he didn't tell you to do was stay there and plead with them and talk to them and think of a hundred different ways that you can explain it to try to drive it home. You know what he said do? If they don't hear it, how do you know somebody didn't hear it? They don't respond to it. 
How do you know somebody didn't receive it? They don't value it. There's no response to it. Here's what he told you to do. You walk outside and you shake the dust off your feet. What is that saying? You don't give any weight to it. I can't give weight to you. You don't value this. I can't give you more of what you don't value. To him who has, more will be given. To him who has what? Honor and value. Now what you don't want is God shaking your dust off his feet. You don't want God saying, I have no access to you. I got to move on. And that's what Jesus said. Shake the dust, go on. In other words, don't take the dust of this town with you to the next town. You take, this, you take the dust of their rejection with you to the next town, you start expecting people to reject you. Don't do that. You shake the dust, you leave it there, and you find somebody who will value it. And when you find it, stay. And that's all God's looking for. Somebody who will value it. The Bible says he searches the whole earth looking for those whose hearts are towards him. They're wholehearted to him. Man, can you see how big this is? I could stand here for another hour and a half and not shut up. I don't want to do that to you, but I'm just stirred up. Anybody else excited about the glory of God? Come on, get up on your feet. Thank you, Lord. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. That's exciting, but what's it mean? You're not ready yet. It's coming and I want you ready for it. So that's what's going on in me, in us, in our home. We're preparing ourselves right now, getting ready for the coming glory. Part of that preparation is to say, Lord, how do I honor you more? In what ways am I not giving weight to you? I don't want to live by a lying scale, an unjust scale. And it just requires you to tell that to him over and over. Nothing outweighs you. Nothing is greater than your glory. And greater is he that's living in me than he that is in the world. I just heard in my heart when I was sitting um, over there that the obedience to follow him is one of the greatest acts of honor. To follow him when he calls. When he calls you to pick up and leave and yeah. move and go and do, it's one of the greatest demonstrations of honor. And then after you do that, finding out, well, Lord, what, what else can I honor you in? What's the next phase of honor? It's like the rest of your life. We can spend the rest of our lives honoring God with whatever He asks us to do. You know, I also heard this in my heart, never judge another person's harvest when you have no idea their seed. And you know, that'll keep us in a constant mode of receiving from God when we're not caught up in thinking about what other people are doing all the time, judging other people, but we have our own thing with God. We are only caught up in what He's doing in our lives and what He's able to do. It's refusing to judge another person's harvest. And it'll make us very spiritual people. You know, around your dinner table, what if all you talked about was the goodness of God? and the faithfulness of God and how good He is and what He's doing for your family and how faithful He's been and what's on its way, what's coming. And you're not sitting there talking about, oh, so-and-so, I saw their new car the other day. Can you believe they don't need that car? Or I saw what they, what they bought at the store. I saw their new clothes. They're buying new clothes every week. No, what if you had a real, thing with God where you were just caught up in the blessing of the Lord that was on your life. You know, anytime we judge another man, we cut ourselves off from God's blessing on our life. Anytime we get caught up and, and just too concerned with the little tiny, uh, just the little petty things of life, we take ourselves out of the realm and the access of the bigness of God. 
We wanna give Him full access to our life. So um, I just heard that. Praise the Lord. Let's That's never good. judge another yeah. person's harvest without knowing the seed that they've sown. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I'm so thankful she brought that up because, I mean, we're standing here today. Uh, I thank God by the grace of God, not like that rich young ruler who was unwilling to leave something. Um, we left something. Everybody up here, our staff, this team, every one of them left something. Many of you have come to this place from somewhere else. You left something. And I'm telling you, it's honoring him. And it's like an open door of access, right? For him to honor. You followed. You followed. We didn't lead ourselves here. We followed him here. Thank you, Lord. And that will put you. When you follow him, it will put you in the right place, at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people. Amen? Amen. We love you. They're going to sing this. You're going to be dismissed, and we'll see you again next week. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.